You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciated as always, and I am joined by my co-host, Alex. Alex, I feel like the last two months we may have done two shows together. It's either I'm out or I'm sick or I've got something and you've got work or you're you you're sick. I I, re- I I can't remember the last time we did a show, and when we last did a show together, I think it had been a couple weeks prior to that that we did a show. So it's great to have. I feel like I feel like we have a guest tonight, and his name is Alex Varallo. Alex, how you doing? <laughs> Likewise, man. It's it's been a roller coaster throughout this entire stretch, and and I don't even know what day it is anymore. It's just kind of. You know, working remotely, working at home, and trying to to dodge the pandemic, and 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 then all the new current stuff going on with with today's day and age. It's just one one crazy roller coaster ride that hopefully ends soon with some more positiveness and and some better things. And I believe uh, somebody said the other day we were under a hundred days till the till the ste- the football season starts. So uh, that's a good countdown in my mind for uh, for better days to come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things are just absolutely nuts at the moment. Even being over here in England, watching from a distance, I've, I'm just flabbergasted. Um, and as I said, you know, during the whole COVID thing, when that was at its peak, that, you know, this is kind of an opportunity for, for people to get away from reality from, for a little bit because it's, uh, and we, you, you could talk about, disturbing, distressing, controversial, stressful issues, all that stuff. But I uh, I mean Jesus, do we do people really need another place for that? I've I've been looking at it all day on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh I'm getting emails from friends, I'm getting text messages from friends in the states, we're messaging back and forth. And um it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, things are so bad right now that and I I'm not even saying this to be funny. Even though I did laugh yeah. when I realized what I was doing. Um and this is the last I'll say on it cuz we don't need I don't want to go you know, drag the show yeah. down. And like I said, people yep. can get enough of this elsewhere. But I realized today I laughed when I realized I was, I was looking up information on COVID to cheer myself up. Like that was like, I needed to cheer up. So I looked up COVID data. Um, like two weeks ago, COVID was bringing the end of the world. And today it was a pick me up because of what's, what we're seeing in the States and what we're seeing innocent people go through unbelievable so that's again that's enough of that terrible tragic situation and hopefully uh hopefully we you know come out the other end better off for for what's going on right now because it really is just unfathomable but anyway so so tonight's show one thing i i held off a little bit last week alex as we said you weren't able to make it and glad you're feeling better by the way um didn't really touch on the joe flacco stuff because i wanted to get your thoughts uh, so we'll cover that tonight. I wanted to look at the uh, the 53 as a whole. Um, you know, last week I kind of covered that Joe Douglas do enough for the offense mainly. But really looking at the 53-man roster compared to last year's, how much better is it? Um, and, and one thing, focusing a little bit on the defense this week, because when I tweeted this out yesterday, um, 
I'm, I'm trying. Believe me, I'm I'm trying to keep my my expectations tempered. I've said I think this is probably a five or six win team. Uh, you know, of course, anything's possible. But if if I had to guess right now, I'd say this team wins six games. But when when I look at the defense, and I I think to myself because listen, every team it doesn't matter if you're the Cincinnati Bengals or if you're the the Kansas City Chiefs. Every team has things going into a season where, in their hopes to be successful, they're, they're going to have a list of ifs. Well, if this happens, and if that happens, and if this, and if that, we'll have a successful season. Whether successful means 500, whether successful means winning record, whether successful means playoffs, whether successful means Super Bowl, that's up to each individual. But every team has their ifs. And it's, it seems to me... For, at least for the Jets, and especially on defense, um, there aren't a great deal of ifs to me in my mind. There, there are three key ones, three key ifs that if they they come to fruition, and that being if C.J. Mosley is healthy, if Avery Williamson is healthy, and if Pierre Desir returns to form of a couple of years ago, just two years ago. You know, sometimes we say. Well, hopefully this guy plays as well as he did, you know, three, four, five years ago, which just isn't as realistic. But two years ago, Pierre Desir was a very good corner. So if Desir returns to 2018 form, and if the two inside linebackers are healthy, how good can this defense be? And let, let, let's start with that topic, Alex. Let's, let, let's go through this. But let's say the two linebackers and Pierre Desir are healthy. Is there any reason to believe that this defense won't be top five caliber. They were top seven last year without Mosley, without Williamson, with, with you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh string linebackers, and without without a guy like this year. Now, granted, the schedule helped out because they played some really bad quarterbacks. They didn't go on a lot of long road trips. But, Alex, is this defense good enough to basically – well, the, the fourth if is the biggest one, but it's on the other side of the ball, which is why I didn't mention it. Um, but if Adam Gase's offense improves. So let's say hypothetically, Williamson, Mosley, healthy, this year plays at a high level. Can Adam Gase's offense average enough points to win nine or ten games? Because if the defense plays up to par with those guys being healthy, you're talking about a top five, ten unit. Keeping you, that you shouldn't see three or four or five, however many double-digit blowout losses they had last year. The defense should be good enough to prevent that. So, I mean, what, what do you think, Alex? Is this defense good enough? And, and what are some of your ifs? You know, people tell me, oh, we don't have an edge rusher. <clears throat> I, I get that there's no right. edge rusher. But I expect a big lump, a big leap from Quinn and Williams. And I think we're going to continue to see Jamal Adams used off the edge. And who, who knows what Zuniga brings and all that. But, but, but I don't want to go too crazy and, and name 50 different things that have to happen. But what are the main things that have to happen for this defense to be successful? And and if those things happen, is Adam Gase's offense? I'm not asking Adam Gase to be top five, but can, can you give us a top fifteen offense that paired with what we hope will be a top ten, top eight defense? That that that's that's a playoff formula right there. Yeah, just uh, it, it must be the life of a Jets fan where you have to start every conversation going into before the beginning of the season with if, hope, and. <laughs> you know, connecting all these dots and things like that. But uh, 
I do feel that, you know, obviously a lot of the success for this team is going to be on the offensive side of the ball and, and, you know, the light shines on Gase there for sure. Um, That goes without saying. And I do feel that team can replicate the way that they were performing down the stretch in November and December defensively. And with these key pieces that you've mentioned in Williamson, Desir, Mosley, um, we, we have no idea, you know, if this Zuniga kid can, you know, just be the guy um, that we're looking for on third down to get after the quarterback. So a lot of those little key factors will, will only, you know, create better plays and, and a stronger uh, defensive group for us uh, on that side of the ball. So I absolutely feel that, you know, this year maybe we don't have the the Clowney or the Garrett or the Watts of the world. We don't have those kind of things, but we have something that nobody else has or, you know, maybe only one or two other teams have. We have a Jamal Adams on our team. So with that, that gives me a lot of hope. And if C.J. Mosley can go back to that form in which he was playing week one last year, he just looked like he was going to be one of the top defensive linebackers in the league with the way he started. Um, He had the defensive touchdown. He made a – well, the play that he got injured on, he he saved the touchdown um, with that pass deflection. He just looked like he was – the the piece that Greg Williams has always wanted in his defense to kind of be the leader of his of that core group right there inside the tackle box. So I absolutely feel that, uh, you know, addition by subtraction with getting rid of some other players in the defensive back room, uh, it's like, you know, we we trimmed out the bad parts, we cut the fat out, you know, now we're dealing with, with really a good product or a better product, I feel. And as as, as long as, you know, these guys can get themselves acclimated, you know, with the new system that Greg Williams has. And, and there's, there hasn't been a lot of turnover on, on the defensive side of the ball, which is really, really good. I mean, if you think about it, there's a couple of rookies that have come in and, um, you know, a couple free agents that may not be too familiar with Greg Williams' system, but you have to say almost 90% of this defense has come back. So that's definitely going to be beneficial for us um, because you're not going to have to implement – um, you know, the system over again. Guys are going to be familiar with the, the scheme and the playbook. And, you know, they, Greg Williams can probably go further into different types of styles of coverages because I think he watered down his defense a lot last year because of the talent um, that we had out there in fourth and fifth and sixth string starters. So having, you know, some guys come back healthy and just – attempting to replicate some of the things that we did last year, I can absolutely see this being another top 10 defense this year. Uh, you know, and the big key factor will be how well do we get, uh, put pressure on the quarterback, obviously. Um, that'll be the big – everyone will always be talking about that regardless. So can someone emerge? That would definitely help. But I definitely feel that, like you said, um, our success will probably be more determined on the offensive side. But in the event that people stay healthy – uh, I think that this Jets defense is going to be stingy. And I think a lot of these games that people have just written us off on, um, you know, to lose. Uh, I think the Jets might surprise this year, to be quite honest with you. I mean, if you look at the schedule last year, the way I, ri- I, I wrote it up and I had between six or seven wins, but I didn't get all the games right. Um, I didn't have us beating Oakland. I didn't have us beating Pittsburgh. 
Um, you know, I had us running the table on Miami. Uh, so, you know, anything can happen, you know, rosters change all the time. And you know, I'll, I'll throw it back to you, but yeah, I absolutely def- definitely believe that, you know, we can do greater things this year with some of the healthier pieces that are coming back. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's always so tough, especially, you know, picking games when you're talking about within the division, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, even back when you look at the old, you know, the old Rex teams when the Jets were, were, were pretty damn good and the Dolphins were terrible, like they would get a split. You know, it seems like they always find a way to split or drop both against a division opponent. It's always just really strange. It's, to, you know, within the division, teams just tend to step up. It's the familiarity. You know, you might be a bad team, but maybe you're a good matchup against the team in your division. You see them twice a year, so you know them, and, and you steal a win where you shouldn't. So it's always, um, even when the Jets, even when I feel good about them, I have a hard time picking them to, to, to win both games against the division opponent, even though I had them winning two against Miami last year. And let's face it, they lost that the, the game they lost to Miami when Miami was 0-7 or whatever, and they beat the Jets. Even that mm-hmm. second win, I, I, I re, the week 14, no, I'm sorry, week 14 was, was the one, I'm, I'm getting myself mixed up now. Yeah, they won the week 14 game. That was, the, was second, field yeah, goal. The, the second yeah. game. I, I was there yeah, in and, Miami for that loss. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they, the one they won, like they needed some breaks. Like they caught yeah. some breaks really late in that game. They almost lost twice yep. to a team that was tanking. Um, so, you know, th- those, yeah, we won the second them. game on, uh, what's his name's foot. Um, oh, yeah. God, Ficken, I that's what I was saying. Already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Ficken won, won that game. That's foot. what I mean. That, that game, yeah. yeah, like last second, and they caught some breaks late in that game to put them in position to get that win. So they they nearly lost twice to a, a team that was trying to lose their games. Um, so that was that was brutal. But but all in all, looking at the roster from from top to bottom, um, I mean, really, how, how much better are they? And this is something I've said uh, a few times, and I've heard others say it that even with the improvements. They're, the record may not be much better because it, the schedule is that much tougher. So, so look, looking at it from top to bottom, obviously Sam's back. Um, but you bring in Flacco to back him up. So, what, what are your thoughts on that move? Um, I'll, I'll share my thoughts for when you're done. But um, yeah. I've, I, I, I had somebody, I don't know if you saw it, Alex. Someone got really pissed off at me on Twitter. I don't even know who it was. The guy was like, I, I basically said, oh, this, you know, Flacco could be a good mentor for Darnold. And this guy was like, you're so full of shit. You have no idea what you're talking about. Obviously, Flacco's the worst. He has no interest in being a mentor. He wasn't a mentor for Locke. He wasn't a mentor for J- for Jackson. I was like, wow. All right. So so you go ahead and yeah. then I'll, I'll address the, uh, the Twitter lunatic you and know, my thoughts on Flacco. It, it, it's interesting that you say that because those were some of the thoughts that I had too because I remember um, – his initial response to when they drafted Lamar Jackson. And it was more or less like, why would I help somebody to take my job or something? And it really, really went south for him. And clearly (laughs) he's no longer a Raven. And then he went to the Broncos and then he kind of had the same thing happen over there. And, you know, now, you know, that's just kind of how quickly the NFL can turn on you. You know, one day you're the starting franchise face and then, you know, next time you're holding, you know, the next year you're holding a clipboard, watching a kid 10 years younger than you do your job. So, uh, 
it's interesting because I've been I've watched Flacco for a lot of years. Um, I went to Hofstra University, and um, one of my best friends went to Delaware, and you know that was a uh, a rivalry game uh, in in their division. So it was always fun to you know go down to Delaware and go check out a game there. And I never knew that the quarterback I was watching was going to be a Super Bowl champion, and and then eventually end up being a you know a quarterback on the Jets. That that never occurred to me. Um, I li- I'd like to, to think that, you know, Flacco has probably come a long way, um, you know, and looking in the mirror and saying like, okay, I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the player I used to be. And people don't see me the way that, you know, I see myself anymore. So, uh, but here's the kicker. Um, and I forgot who put it out there. Somebody had put out a stat saying that the Jets haven't won a game with a backup kick, uh, sorry, kicker, a backup quarterback since 2016 in Bryce Petty. So we need somebody behind Sam that can at least be a game manager and keep us honest. And that I do feel that we can get from Flacco. Um, I'm not sure about his health. I know he just had surgery um, somewhere in his upper back or his neck area. So uh, he may not be ready to go as the backup week one, Uh, but he will probably be there. I would assume sometime in October, November, and December. So, uh, I think that he can bring a lot to the table for Sam, um, his experience going to the Super Bowl, going to the playoffs, um, doing those things. Uh, you know, I don't know if he is the perfect model for Sam to kind of image his game off of, but, you know, it's those little mental things that I think inside uh, when they're do, breaking down film and doing things like that, that's where I think Sam will benefit the most from a player like Joe. So I think it's a good move. Um, it's definitely – an um, an improvement from Sales, David Sales, who was originally our backup, and our rookie James Morgan. Um, quarterback room is not looking great behind Sam Darnold, so things are looking a little bit better in that position group. I feel as of right now. Yeah, I think you know I, I look at uh, Morgan and I think he's a guy that he's going to end up on IR. He's going to be an IR stash. Don't want him to play. Don't expect him to play. Uh, but still give him the opportunity to learn, stick him on IR for the season, and uh, and let Flacco be your two and go from there. But uh, we'll see. Maybe he gets a roster spot. Um, but, yeah, listen, the Drew Brees thing, and this is my feeling, like I said, I, I don't remember who the guy was. Um, not, I don't really care, but he was like, you know, you saying Flacco is a good signing shows that you don't know anything about football and you blah, 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 blah. I'm like, this is a totally different situation because – Flacco, in both those other situations, he was trying to protect his starting job. And in his mind, he was the starter. And he was. He was the starter in Baltimore until he wasn't. And then he goes to Denver, where John Elway is like, I think this guy, is his best years are ahead of him. Everyone knew Elway was crazy. I mean, listen, you can praise a guy publicly, but when you're going to go that far over the top, that's just nuts. Um but he still went into that season feeling like he would be the starter. He was the starter, and he was trying to protect his job. And as much as we don't like it, fans may not like it. You know, I remember like I don't. There's a lot of things that I remember thinking when I was a little kid that I feel like I grew out of, that I understood as I as I got older. And a lot of people, for some reason, don't seem to get that stuff. Um, like when I hear somebody complain that there's no player loyalty. Like, I thought that way when I was a little kid. 
But I've watched the game long enough to know that 99% of these players, just they just want the bigger check. You know, at some point, winning may be important enough that they'll take a little bit less. Like, if they're like, oh, damn, I've been in the league eight years. This is probably my last big contract. I'd like to get a ring. I'll take a couple million less to go to a contender. Like, that's kind of the exception. But for the most part, young guys in their prime with multiple bidders, they want that biggest paycheck. And I understand that. But I still see people that are like, oh, I can't believe that guy wasn't loyal to the team. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. And the same thing with Flacco. You know, oh, I, can't, I don't want that guy. He wouldn't help the quarterback on his last team. That's the way I thought when I was a little kid. But then you grow up and you're like, oh, damn, like, that is a job. That is a position. Any job. Name, name a job. It's somebody you want, yeah. whether it's yeah. a good job, bad job. If it's somebody that that person wants and they worked their whole life for and they've had that job and their company brings in someone younger than them to take that job, you think that dude's going to be like, all right, man, here, uh, yeah. let me show you all the tricks you need to know to take my job from me. And some guys might, yeah. and that's very noble, and I admire it, and that's great. But I don't begrudge a guy who doesn't. But in this situation, Joe Flacco's not the starter. He knows he's not the starter. He's not coming in to be the starter. He's not making starter money. Joe Douglas knows him from Baltimore and probably said, dude, I like you. You'd be a good mentor for Sam. We'll give you a million if you come in and do it. You have no other offers right now. Maybe if Sam misses a couple weeks, you play well, you get an offer in the offseason. So Flacco take Joe Flacco isn't coming in here on a one-year deal to be, in, to be in, uh, you know, a jerk and, and not mentor Sam Darnold for the one season that he's here. And he's not coming in thinking, I'm going to take Sam Darnold's job. I'm going to be the quarterback for the next 10 years of the Jets not happening he's 90 years old he signed a one-year deal to come in and be a mentor and hold a clipboard and listen maybe his agent said look joe we're going to try to get you in a place with a quarterback who has missed time over the last few mm-hmm. years and always misses time all right yep. well donald's got a track record now now the mono thing is flukish it's not like it was an injury and even the injury was flukish that True. was on the head coach keeping the quarterback in the game where the center was snapping the ball to the upper deck you know what i mean um yep so, really, it's like there's a time, history of missing time, but not really what I would call an injury history. But even still, the agent looks at it, Flacco looks at it, hey, let's find a team that might sign you where they have a quarterback who might have some durability issues. Oh, look, New York, if Darnold misses another four games this year, that's four starts for you to get some, get some film out there. So, it, yep. it makes sense at every level. But this notion that, that, that Flacco won't be a good mentor because he hasn't been in the past – those were different situations. He was a starting quarterback trying to protect his job. Now he's coming in on backup money to be a backup. He's not taking the Jets' starting job. He's not trying to. He's going to try to play his best. He wants to play, of course. He'd love to get some starts. But that's not the expectation. So that, that's why everything's different in my mind. And uh, anyone who's, who's saying that he won't be a good mentor, I think it's just people being negative for the sake of being negative. But, uh, but anyway, so that, that's quarterback. Uh, and uh, again, as I said, Morgan, does he go to IR? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But either way, the quarterback situation is much improved. Is it not, Alex, with, with bringing Joe Flacco in? I mean, had you had the chance, actually, what I wanted to ask, I went back and watched a few of Flacco's games from last year. Uh, looked very impressive against Jacksonville. Uh, I've watched three games, and there was one in particular. I can't remember the opponent now because it was like 10 days ago, and the world is upside down. But it was a game where the numbers – I think it was Green Bay against Green Bay. The numbers weren't pretty. Stat line wasn't great. But he made some throws in that game where the plays were there to be made and the receivers either didn't hold on to the ball. 
dropped a pass. He threw a touch. He threw a ball. It would have been a touchdown. The receiver had not a ton of room to get his toes down, but he had enough room and just didn't get it done. So I'm watching these plays. And I'm like, he's, he's moving the ball. They're driving down the field. He's making big-time throws, and guys are dropping the ball. Or guys aren't. So he wasn't even playing poorly. And the thing I liked was the number of times I saw the ball come out quickly, which we just didn't see from Trevor Simeon or Luke Falk last year when they were in there and, you know, when they got uh, when they got their chance under center. But I think we have to agree, Alex, the quarterback position is obviously better than it was last year. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, if you look down the line, you know, with exception for Teddy Bridgewater short stint, you know, Flacco is probably the best backup quarterback that we've had in years. Um, I have him ahead of, you know, Uncle Josh and Simeon and, you know, Fails and Falk and, you know, we can even go further down the line past that. Um, so we haven't had a quarterback like this with his experience and um, accomplishments. Um, that's a big thing, too. This guy's accomplished a lot in this league thus far. So, uh, you know, all those things are, are definitely going to um, to to be beneficial, um, you know, for everybody in, in, in this team, too. And, you know, you got to think about the guys on the second and the third string that, you know, are probably missing out on opportunities to crack, you know, reps or snaps in the starting lineup because their their backup stinks. And, you know, he's not putting the ball, you know, on their back hip or, you know, over their head or, you know, they're not getting the timing down on their route. So, you know, he could be, you know, the new best friend for some of these guys that are, you know, on the back end of the 53 that are trying to, to get a job. So, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot that he can bring to the table in that manner. And that brings us to running back. So, of course, Le'Veon Bell is back, so no change there. Uh, you've replaced basically, you know, we're guessing here depth chart-wise, but uh, Frank Gore will replace Bilal Powell. Maybe maybe LaMichael Perrin does. But uh, those are the two big additions in the backfield, Perrin and Gore. I think, for me personally, Gore is a downgrade from Bilal. Um, he's older, he's slower, he was less productive last year. Um, and, you know, he's 37. So I think I would prefer Powell. But, uh, you know, people, oh, the Gore, he's number whatever on the all-time list. Great. He's number whatever. You, right. you want to bring in Emmett Smith? You want to bring in Barry Sanders right. at this point? Like, because you were great for however many years doesn't mean you're better than all the guys that aren't ahead of you on that list. So yeah. if I had my choice, I would have taken Bilal Powell back even though he didn't really have a role last year. Um, but we're still just talking player versus player, not so much how involved in the scheme they were. Yep. Uh, I mean, again, you can't not – as a as a pro, Frank Gore, absolutely fantastic. You know, all the whole role model mentor stuff. I'm not saying you can't do that stuff. Um, I just – I don't feel like it's, it's a dire thing to have a, a, a running back mentor on the roster. But I would say that, in my opinion, that's a downgrade. But of course, at running back three, Perrin is probably better than most of the guys, or you know, than, than any of the other guys on the roster, um, who would be a two or a three. So, I feel like Gore's a downgrade, but Perrin's an upgrade. So that's kind of a wash. And of course, none of it's going to matter if the O line doesn't block up front. But uh, the running back situation, Alex, what do you, what are your thoughts? Are they better off? Are they the same? How do you feel? Uh, slightly improved, and I would say that mainly because. Of, of the young legs of P. Ryan coming into the, the fold here, and I am, am, am totally assuming that he's going to have a role, which is kind of maybe a little <laughs> far-fetched by me uh, compared to what we saw last year with Ty Montgomery. But, uh, yeah, I'd have to say 
you know, you're bringing in a guy. It's like this big brother program that they've created with all these older guys, you know, to mentor these young guys, it seems like. Um, it's very interesting to see how Joe Douglas is putting this whole roster together. But, yeah, there's definitely going to be, a, I guess, a lot of, like, player coaching going on, uh, per se. You know, you have, you know, Heinz Ward looking over the wide receivers. You have, you know, and he, in, you know, in my opinion, I think he's one of the, you know, the greats as well. And, you know, you got Gore, who's in the top five or top ten on the running back list. And, you know, it's just like, who else are they going to bring in at this point um, that, that has all, like, those similar kind of accolades too. But uh, are they significantly improved from last year? I want to say it's more or less the same. I, I kind of feel the same way that you do. I, I think that Bilal probably has a little bit more juice in the tank. Uh, than Gore. Um, Gore has shown that he is a little more durable than him, um, even at his age. Uh, so I guess that would be something that he has an advantage over Bilal over. And <clears throat> Looking at, you know, what we had in-house last year, um, we didn't even really know what Montgomery was capable of because he, he wasn't even really used. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if Piran has any sort of a role, then, yeah, I guess you can say that this running back room is improved, but I kind of feel like it was somewhat lateral. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like I said, love the intangibles Gore brings uh, for me personally. I think he's a little bit of a downgrade, but all in all, and I think Perry, you know, at that position anyway, is a bit of an X factor because he, he does look to play a lot faster than, than, you know, the numbers tell us he is, and Again, if the blocking's not there, none of it will matter. Um, but moving on to wide receiver, not uh, – listen, it was a position where the Jets were already weak. Demarius Thomas uh, is a guy who they might bring back. But he's, uh, you know, he's a free agent at the moment. But you let Robbie walk. You brought in Perriman, who, you know, for my money, I feel like – when, when you watch when you watch Perriman play, there are some things he does well that Robbie Anderson doesn't do so well, but the production hasn't been there. Over you know when when you look at Perriman and Robbie side by side, Robbie's been the better player, no question. Um, yep. However, that doesn't mean Perriman isn't a late bloomer who is now going to be as good or better than Robbie. So that's a huge question mark. And and if we're being honest. You know, we can want to wear the green color glasses all we want. Just looking at product, you've got to say Robbie was the better player. you got to say that was a downgrade until Perryman proves otherwise. Um, but then by bringing in Mims, now Mims-Perryman, that, that's a nice, that has the potential to be a nice tandem because they weren't great last year um, at receiver. I mean, let's face it, the, 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 and I've said this before, Alex, anytime you have an entire unit, anytime you finish 32nd in the NFL – on either side of the ball, offense or defense, you just can't grade anyone. Because, you know, even if you have some good players, no no two or three or four good players are good enough to overcome seven or eight really bad ones. And the Jets had that at times last year. Um, so I, I'm not saying that the, these receivers aren't as good. We just need to see. Like Vincent Smith, he's a guy, limited reps, right? But you look at some of the things he did late in the season. He played well against Baltimore. Um, he had a, a few catch and run. He had a, he had a big play against Miami, 
where you look at him and think, oh, man, I, I would have loved to see this guy get more targets because it looks like there's something there. But you can't really judge a whole lot on three or four catches. Um, but his production, if you go back and look, I was looking at his game logs a few weeks ago, and I, you know, I posted a few clips that I, I, I pulled from him, and, and he definitely saw increased targets, increased catches, increased production down the stretch. So maybe the Jets do believe in him. And, he, you know, he's a young guy who's kind of being developed after being picked up from the Texans. But uh, I, don't, I don't feel like you can say receiver-wise, in terms of what guys have proven, they're no better or not much better. But I think the potential to be much better is there. And, of course, Crowder, who had himself a really nice season last year. And now if you give him a little bit more room to work underneath with having a, you know, a couple guys who run in the 4-3s, four 4-4s, four or 4-2s and 4-3s in, in Perriman and Mims, I think there could be some great opportunities for Crowder there. And as I said, Smith played really well down the stretch. So the, the potential to be there, the, the potential to be much better. But I think it's a bit, as I said, a, a bit biased to just assume they'll be better. That's just kind of wishful thinking because we're fans and we want the team to do better. Um, so upgrade possible, but I think at best you have to say a wash in terms of what they've proven at this point. Uh, definitely agree. I mean, the way that you look at it is there's two ways I guess you could kind of see this. It's They brought in Josh Doxson and Bashard Powerman, who are former first-round picks. So at some point, these guys were evaluated on a talent uh, perspective as going to be starting, uh, you know, producers uh, at the wide receiver position. So um, year-to-date, the former teams, and, you know, fans of the Ravens and Washington Redskins would probably say that these guys are busts. So clearly, uh, you know, Joe Douglas came out here and said, you know, look at these former first round guys, you know, you know, let's see if we could get something out of them that these other teams failed to do. Clearly, you know, Perriman um, coming from Baltimore a couple of years ago that, you know, we know where the ties lie there. So, um yeah, like you said, potential is pretty much all you can really look at because nothing has been proven um, out of those out of Doxon and Perriman at this point. You know, you had a, a couple, uh, you know, lightning in the bottle kind of weeks for Perriman to end the season, uh, end last year, and you know, will that carry over? We have no idea. Um, you know, different system, uh, you know, different personnel out there, different schemes, different you know, uh, defensive people will be going up against. Um, you know, we've got some really, really good corners in the AFC East that uh, our receivers are going to be going up against. And, you know, that could, you know, be the factor that makes them non-existent on certain games. Um, you know, Tredavious White out of Buffalo is a, is a really, really good corner. And I think they just brought in Josh Norman over in Buffalo too, right? Um, you know, you, you got Stephon Gilmore over in New England. Uh, and then you got a couple great corners that they just signed off a of free agency um, in Miami, um, one of them, Byron Jones, and I think they already had another guy named Xavier. Uh, I want to say Xavier Rhodes, but I could be wrong. But regardless, yeah, I mean they have, know, they have, they've have, got a lot of depth up there. Oh, I mean we're going to be going up against some some really really strong defensive backfields this year. So uh, the 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 receivers could possibly struggle this year. Um, clearly, you know if Mims shows what he did in college and can translate that, that's obviously going to put more focus on him and create opportunities for other people. And that's kind of what we have to to hope for. Here we are again, you know, if and hoping. Um, 
so yeah, you know, this is probably the one thing that concerns me the most out of all the position groups on our uh, team right now. Um, you know, you know, and I've spoken uh, at, at length about how I feel about Mims, but I also kind of felt that he was, he's the kind of guy that needs a solid number two um, in order to do the things that, that he can do. Uh, you know, the, the teams are going to, to understand that, you know, this is probably one of the best uh, go-to guys that Donald's going to try to get the ball to outside of Crowder and Bell and possibly Herndon. So, you know, if those guys elevate their game and can create opportunities, then maybe, you know, Doxon or Perriman, if one of the two of them can can perform in a, a quality number two role, let's say, uh, yeah, our offense will be okay. But we're just speculating at this point. And if we're looking at what history has shown us right now, uh, things are not looking too great um, as far as that wide receiver room. So, you know, Sam's going to have to elevate um, and maybe his skill level and his talent in year three can everything that I've said. And, and, you know, he can defy all the, you know, obstacles that are before him and, and become a, a quality quarterback with these young, these young guys. Cause he does have a good young group to work with at this point. Um, but, you know, as I've said, you said, I'm proven. Yeah, and I think if it, you know, there's, like I said, you have some some really, a lot to work with there in terms of speed and explosiveness, and even Braxton Berrios, you know, a guy who didn't get a lot of a, a lot of uh, opportunities last year, but in limited opportunities, he showed that he he can be a guy who can make some plays with the ball in his hands, um, and we saw him as a punt returner, what he did there, so definitely some guys to work with, and really. The receiver position is is always interesting when you're struggling there because teams tend to bring in like a million of them to camp. You know, the Jets will probably end up going to the camp with 17, 18, 19 receivers um, and then cut that down to six, you know, maybe seven, uh, depending on how they use those couple extra roster spots and, you know, things along those lines. But uh, some some guys there with with high ceilings. And, and of course, you know, you've got the you've got the undrafted guys. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, moving to tight end, really, n- no changes, really, other than hoping Chris Herndon is healthy and that Griffin stays healthy. So no new big names, but if, if it's Herndon, Griffin, Wesco, Brown, um, can't, you know, basically they get much better if Herndon stays healthy. Um, and for my money, you know, I talked earlier about X-Factors on defense. I think Chris Herndon is the biggest X-Factor on offense. And, you know, of course, the quarterback, of course, we need, you need Donald to perform, but that's that's sort of a no-brainer. That's a given. Goes without saying, as they say. The 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 biggest factor to me is Herndon, because if Herndon is healthy in the middle of the field, and he picks up where he left off a couple of years ago when he had you know he had some really good games as a rookie, I think that it just it, it brings the offense to to the next level, and I think people forget how good Chris Herndon was when he was healthy a couple of years ago. But of course, given the injury history, there is some legitimate reason for concern. Um, but but what are your thoughts there at tight end? Again, we know how much you love your boy Wesco, and uh, I'm not sure yeah. if you went back. I, I posted some clips, Alex, and I don't know if you've gone back and and watched the All 22. But go back and watch him against oh, yeah. Baltimore. He was he was really good oh, in that yeah. game. Uh, he did a nice he job as a blocker. People that game. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, so you yeah, know we saw some more... surprise from him injuries, you know, pushed him into the lineup. It's not like he was improving or showing anything in practice. They just bodies kept dropping. And, you know, 
I, I my gut feeling is is that he's not a gay guy. Uh, that's kind of what I've got from it because, you know, we talked about him at length and everybody talked about, you know, his ability to play fullback, his ability to be at H back and inline tight end and sometimes extend outside and things like that. And didn't see much of any of that. And we, we needed extra blockers out there for pass protection. We needed help in the running game and they were taking Jonathan Harrison um, as a fullback in certain scenarios in the beginning of last year um, until, you know, things fell off with Khalil. And then Harrison had to become a starter. But, uh, yeah, just it's very bizarre, um, you know, because I think I saw something that nearly 66% of the formations that we did last year was a three-wide receiver set and one tight end. Uh, So we really weren't working on a power scheme at all. And I think if you look at kind of the dynamic of the team that we had, we weren't really prepared or we didn't have the skill set to to run a zone-style run game. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell has always done best when he has a blocker, you know, in front of him that he can kind of put his hand on and push and then do his little delay, pause and run and burst and, and things like that. And I, I kind of would like to see him have um, a more of a significant role. I kind of feel like that was all but next when they, they brought back Daniel Brown Uh and then when they gave the extension to Griffin too, I was pretty shocked by that because, you know, we paid this guy and then he gets hurt within a week or two later, which is just, you know, our sheer bad luck last year. So, you know, you have Griffin coming back, uh, assuming healthy. We have Herndon coming back, assuming healthy. Uh, Daniel Brown, special teamer, doesn't impress me. Don't yeah, really want to see that guy in any sort of significant role offensively next year. Um, and then West Coast is kind of, I don't know if he's the man in the middle or the man on the outside, uh, but I would like to see, you know, more, more opportunities for him. You know, like you said, in that Baltimore game, getting out in space, you know, decleating linebackers and, and, you know, putting cornerbacks and safeties in duress. Uh, so that's where I would like to see. Um, I think on a receiving aspect, uh, Griffin and Herndon could, could be a really nice pairing for, for Darnold. Um, but as far as the run game concerned, it's not going to be as strong if Herndon's not in the mix and he's not healthy. Um, a healthy Herndon should not only give us a boost on the receiving aspect, but he definitely, I, I think, is a, probably a better blocker than he is a receiver. And I do think his receiving skills are above average, um, especially you know from those things we saw late in his rookie year. So Herndon's a huge factor out of this, this tight end group. And, you know, he's another one of those big, big factors. I feel that if he can play all 16 and replicate the things he did his rookie year, um, this, this offense is going to be much better than I anticipate. Wholeheartedly agree. Herndon can be such a big factor up front and you know and uh, as you mentioned in the blocking game he's a multi-dimensional guy um and, and speaking of blocking um the o-line i mean we've we've gone over it a million times over we don't have to talk about it a ton but um where do you see guys line if you had a guess today where do, what's the starting five look like and how much better are they than than last year's group yeah that is, is most certainly the key because uh, nothing has changed as far as the left guard position is concerned with Alex Lewis. We know what to expect from him. 
Uh, I, I definitely feel there's been an improvement in the center position with McGovern. Uh, Becton, I just feel as, as an age factor, uh, body size, talent, potential, all those things, I think uh, he, he has a, a very, very high ceiling to be a really, really good left tackle for this team. Uh, you know, as long as he can maintain his weight um, and stay on the field, yes, I do feel that we will have better play on, on the left side as far as the left tackle is concerned. So I, I see Becton winning the left tackle job. You can see Lewis being our left guard, McGovern in the center, and then it's the right guard and the right right tackle position that kind of get a little iffy here. Uh, I feel that George Fant will win the job at right tackle. And the biggest question mark is right guard. Uh, Brian Winters is still on the team. Um, something that we were all expecting not to have him at this point, but he's still here. So if Winters is going to be the guy, uh, that's not an improvement. It's more or less just the same. And when he's not healthy, we know that he's detrimental to this line. Um, we love his heart. We love his character. Um, we appreciate him as, you know, his, everything he's done for the Jets. Uh, but the last few years, uh, you know, he's been very unlucky as far as staying healthy. So uh, he can be uh, a negative um, to Sam and, and to this whole line as a whole. So if Greg Van Roten is the guy, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, to be, I'll be honest with you, I really don't know if Greg Roten, Van Roten has what it takes to produce at a higher level than what Brian Winters can do. Um, just cause I'm just not as familiar with him. Um, just, you know, I haven't seen enough tape on him to, to, you know, put that, put a stamp on it, but Roten does win this job and he can show that he can play better than a healthy Winters. Then the answer is yes. The so line has been improved. Uh, but again, this is another if and hoping factor, um, you know, can these guys all gel together? Um, this virtual stuff and, and these guys not being able to work out together and, you know, chew into their playbook and sit with their coaches and watch the film and, and talk throughout the plays and the, the scheme and everything like that, that concerns me um, because this offense, you know, is going to be determined in the trenches on how well they're going to do. You know, we talked about the receivers. We talked about the running back room and, uh, you know, those guys are not going to be able to get the ball if our offensive line is not able to protect Sam and give him time. And that's just the bottom line. And the same thing goes with the running game. So big question marks there. Uh, I do feel that we've made about two or three, you know, substantial improvements on this offensive line, but the guard position left and right kind of, I'm not sure if we've really improved in, in those areas there. So, uh, you know, maybe Cameron Clark. He, he seems, you know, from what, I, from what I've seen from his college tape, I really, really like what, what he brings to the table. He's tenacious. He plays through the whistle. He, you know, he's another one of those guys just burying bodies. And, you know, I, I always happen to notice what, after he puts somebody down on the ground, he kind of stands up over him like with a dominating stance, just kind of like, you know, making his presence being known. And, you know, people weren't messing with him because he's a big man. And Cameron Clark ends up, you know, having the athleticism to win a starting job and be a guard for us here, and he can get out in space and do great things, then, yeah, this all line is, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. 
but again, you know, we have to hope and see if these players can, can reach their potential. Yeah, that's my sort of best-case scenario to me is that Clark wins that right guard job. Um, I've said it a few times already. Uh, pumped him up quite a bit before the draft. Listed him as a top sleeper uh, heading into day two. Was thrilled when the Jets took him. And I, w- I would love to see him win that job. Van Roten, it's funny with Van Roten, if you remember when we did our offensive free agency preview, like what position should we address? I mentioned him briefly as a guy the Jets might want to go after after watching him a little bit. And now I kind of, I want to go, I want to double back and, and see, you know, having not looked at him in a few months, what I think of him. Cause I don't, my, my thoughts on him aren't really clear. And I remember thinking that he should be at least as good, if not at the very least, a slight upgrade over Brian Winters. Um, and for his price, that's, I mean, that's, let's face it. The reason we're shocked Brian Winters is still here is because the money he makes, the fact there's no cap hit and he just hasn't been very good. Um, so we'll see what happens if he ends up going, but I'll Let start with the right quick guard question before we, sure, go ahead. before we go to the next position group here, because I, I don't know if it was Samini or Costello, um, the guys from the beat that had mentioned that Roten has experience as a center. Now, what is the likelihood that he gets a center job? McGovern plays guard. And then you have like a Cameron Clark winters and Alex Lewis competition at that right guard spot. Could that potentially be the best lineup that we could go forward with? Well, I mean, I'm you know, sure. the, 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 I think McGovern's a center, but I'm just not sure if it's. Well, McGovern, if, if you that, remember, you know, if you remember, Alex, a couple of years ago, McGovern played a handful of games mm-hmm. at guard, and yep. the the kind of the the reviews on that were that he's a better guard than a center. Uh, but and I, I remember people mentioning that after the Jets signed him, but I just can't see them. You, you want the best center possible right now with Darnold under center. Um, I, I think for that reason, and, and, I, and I, I think I said earlier this offseason that maybe McGovern moves to guard at some point, but I don't think they plug anyone else. I don't think they plug anyone else in at center until they feel comfortable that that guy can handle the position, um, you know, picking up the checks and, and things of that nature, but you're know, picking up blitzers that are trying to hit that a gap the way that the Jets have struggled to do, so mightily the last couple of years, I think you want that that sort of experienced veteran in that spot. So we'll see what happens there. Um, if he moves to guard because they feel like they have a center, because you know you remember I, I was I think we both said we'd like to see them bring in Beatish prior to the draft, mm-hmm. and even then mm-hmm. I said you know let let's let Beatish start at guard till they feel like he's ready for center, and then move him over and then flip him and McGovern. Um, so so I think McGovern ends up playing center. But if someone else emerges and they feel like they can move him to guard and have a, a, a reliable center playing alongside him, then absolutely, why not? Uh, but, but I think for the time being, it's going to be a battle between – or not even a battle. I, I think – I just – you know, you said it. I just said it. I'm shocked that Brian Winters is still on the roster. I can't see him being on the roster when the season starts, not at that price tag. I think that means Van Roten or Clark will be starting at right guard. I think George Fant wins the right tackle job because I don't think they want to pay a a, a, a blocking tight end $8 million a year. As you said, Lewis at left guard, we know what we're getting there. But the thing with Lewis, it's funny. The O-line was so bad last year that Lewis was like your best O-lineman, and now he's probably the worst, which is kind of a good thing. 
um, because <laughs> he, of what, what they built around him. He got hurt, too. Oh, yeah, tons. He was good it was, for at least insane. one game before he left. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he, had, he, a, he had a four or five-game stretch. Yeah, he had a four or five-game stretch where not just a penalty, but he kept getting penalties would call back big games. Um, big plays, his, yes, exactly. Yeah, it just kept happening. It was really frustrating. Um, and then, I remember of course, that yeah, screen for, was it Bilal? That was like a 20 to 30 yard scamper. And he was like, where the hell has these plays been? Like what, what chapter of the Gase playbook did, did yep. he just dust off and, and pull this? And then it's like, we need to see more of that. Wait, what's going on here? Why are we going backwards? Oh, great. You know, so we shot ourselves in the foot again. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely nuts, you know? And, and like I said, it, it was like he had a four or five or six game stretch where he kept taking away first downs and taking away big plays so, but but he was still probably the best all around lineman, and this year the hope is that he he may be the worst. Um, if if Mackay Becton, you know, who should be starting a left tackle, if he steps up, um, so we'll see. Obviously, upgrades across the board, generally with the exception of Lewis. Um, before we move on to the defense, Alex, let's talk a little bit of a defense. The Jets were mentioned uh, earlier today in some rumors regarding Jadavion Clowney. What uh, what were you seeing about that? Yeah, very, really interesting. I know that a lot of people, um, you know, hoping and praying that when the June 11th day, Tremaine Johnson day, as, as a lot of, was the day that the Jets were able to retain $11 million of, of his uh, salary that he was due this year. Uh, so a lot of people were expecting them to, you know, on June 1st, flip that over and sign Clowney or maybe sign Logan Ryan or a Warford or, you know, uh, Peters. Jason Peters a tackle. So, you know, a lot of people were just kind of hoping that the Jets were going to uh, make, you know, one big splash um, when June first came around. So uh, to be honest with you, um, I'm not a huge, huge clowny guy. Um, I think I've mentioned that in the past. His, his injury um, history concerns me. Um, I think the talent's there. Um, that's no question. Um, you look at, you know, you, Look at all the, the check boxes. He hits a lot of things that you want from an edge defender and a defensive end. Uh, but the money that he's trying to get is money that I feel that the Jets could have went after a uh, Frank Clark or a D Ford last year or a Dante Fowler. You know, those guys have at least proven that they can be double-digit sack guys consistently, um, where we've only seen – what nine a nine nine and a half season sack season is his best I believe if I'm not mistaken so and last year he was like under five sacks if I'm I might have to go look that yeah, up right yeah, now yeah uh, yeah I just, no, he, I don't he, think he's, he's never had double digits and he only had three last year yeah so I mean there it goes you know it, you know maybe people will get at the Madden ratings and going oh we need this guy he's like a 92 well in reality he's probably more like a 75. And, and well, with with the the thing is, he, he's 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 a guy who could be elite. You know, it's it is kind of splitting hair, saying he's never had double digit sacks because I believe he's had nine twice. So like, do those two sacks make him less of a player? Uh, but I think the thing is the injury history and such widespread uh, talk about him being a guy who doesn't maybe necessarily love football. Uh, a lot of time hasn't been super productive. So for me personally, I would much rather spend that money on an O lineman, um, or you know wait till till the till teams make their cuts. Maybe a free agent receiver shakes loose, something along those lines. 
Um, but before we move from offense to defense, uh, looking at the uh, the improvements across the board, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Jet Nation Radio. Would like to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. If you're running a business and you need help managing all of your social media platforms, check out milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. If you want to upgrade the coverage on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, TikTok, whatever platform it may be, Miles Social will help you get more customers uh, through your doors and more money in your pockets. That's M-I-L-E social.com, milesocial.com. Check them out to help you run your business. So moving to the defensive side, Alex. Uh, let's start up front again in the trenches. Obviously, the the guy we're most excited to see, Jabari Zuniga. And to me, not a new player, but a guy entering year two. I think Quinn and Williams is going to be an absolute force this season. I said earlier about uh, about how much better Trevon Wesco played down the stretch. Same goes for Quinn and Williams. I've been harping on that for a while now. Go back and watch the second game against Miami. Go back and watch him play against Cincinnati. He looked like he was going to be the real deal. And I think an off-season of working out and an off-season of growing, I think he's a guy who was primed for a huge season up front. Um, So on that D-line, I mean, look, the the depth on that D-line is absolutely fantastic. You've got Williams, you've got got McClendon, you've got Anderson, you've got Phillips. You've got, uh, you know, again, we're excited to to see Zuniga. Uh, And just young guys, too, just really young players with the exception of McClendon who uh, have plenty in the tank and, and played at a high level last year. You know, for me, and I don't know if I'm the, I can't be the only one that's thinking this here too, but I, I, I feel like this defensive line is going, the limits that they can go uh, is going to be predicated on where Quinnen Williams is, is going to, you know, will he take that next step? And I don't know, the laws and I don't know the, the the rules of conduct well enough to sit here and say that he's going to go unscathed with his incident that he had in the airport, uh, you know, several months ago. A lot of people are just kind of just feel like he's not going to have any sort of repercussions. And, and that might happen. Um, like, I, like I said, I am not educated enough on gun laws or on the player conduct rules on what happens when you get into situations that deal with federal laws. So, for me, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about how many games um, he's going to be able to play. Um, you know, is he going to be uh, punished this year? Will he be punished next year? Uh, is it going to kind of be one of those things where his court case gets pushed out months and months, you know, and he'll have a hearing sometime in the middle of the season and then they'll schedule something in 2021. So maybe he goes this whole year unscathed, but maybe 2021 he has some re- uh you know, some, some suspensions or something. I don't know. Um, so that definitely interests me uh, with Quinn and Williams' situation. But even if he's not in here, I, I am very comfortable looking at Steve McClendon as our, as our defensive tackle leader and defensive line leader, followed with a blossoming full of runs of Fadakasi and animal of a dog in the trenches as, as Nate Shepard. You know, those three guys I would be prepared to go to battle with right now in a three, four defense and having Quinnen in there and then having Zuniga getting thrown in there. And then you talk about guys like Basham and Kyle Phillips in the rotation too. I, I really feel that another year of these guys growing and becoming more comfortable because, you know, a lot of players say like, 
you know, it was all wide-eyed my rookie year or that first or second year. And, you know, everything was just like brand new. And then you come in and you're more comfortable and you're anticipating these things. You're recognizing things when you're out on the field. So you're playing faster. You're playing smarter. These are the things that I'm excited to possibly see from this defensive line. And, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, it all starts up front. And if these guys match the level of play that they had back in November and December up front, you know, teams are going to struggle to run the ball against us. Teams are going to have to find ways to get rid of the ball quickly in the passing game so that they don't get swallowed up by our big guys up front. So I'm very excited to see, you know, the potential of of our defensive line. And we've already seen a small sample size of what they can do and where they ranked against the run. And, you know, we, we didn't let up, you know, we didn't get blown out by huge margins with exception of that Baltimore game um, late in the year. And we kept ourselves in a lot of the games, you know, with a terrible 32nd ranked offense, our defense kept us honest to win six out of the last eight games that we had last year. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that we can take in from the end of last year and move forward with this year that could possibly be even better. Yeah, I think that the big thing to me, Alex, what you were talking about the Quinn and Williams thing, the reason why I'm not too worried about that, and listen, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But and it, it was weird. It was really surreal that that Quinn and Williams story broke because I want to say I, 24, 48 hours, somewhere within there, um, I had just watched a, uh, a video online, a news story, about um, it was like a, a mom and her two daughters, and then I think there was like one or two different uh people who who had gone through a situation where and, and it, this is to me this is this is a crack in the system this is like how does this exist how do you allow this to happen and good decent honest people end up getting in trouble with the law so if you're Quinn and Williams and you have a a gun registered in Alabama like doing the right thing if you're traveling if you're flying from New York and you go to the TSA's website they give you a set of instructions to mm-hmm. tell you what to do when you arrive at the airport. Make sure the ammo and the gun are separate and they're bagged and they're in the case and you can't access them and you declare it on the paperwork and you tell a, ch- a clerk when you check in and all the paperwork will be completed. And Quinn and Williams did all of that. And then they say, uh, New York City, guns are legal, you're under arrest. I'm like, well, yeah. how do you have a thing on the TSA website that controls luggage with traveling, and they give you the steps. They spell it out for you how to properly, legally travel with a gun. And a guy properly, legally travels with his gun based on that info, and then they arrest him. So yeah. if his lawyer is, you know, he's going to bring the TSA regulations to the league and say, my guy did what the government told him to do, and they arrested yep. him. And it, like I said, the case I saw, I want to say the woman was Tennessee. It was a mom and her two young daughters, and they arrested this woman who was with her two kids. Mm-hmm. She's showing the eight. She's like, I'm doing what the website told me to do. What do you want? No, no, can't have a right. gun, can't have a gun. So I, yeah. I think this thing is going to go away. Quinn and Williams will be fine. He's going to be a beast. And everything else he said, I, I again, the depth that, you know, Phillips, Basham, I don't think I even mentioned Fatakasi, who's an absolute monster in the middle. So uh, plenty of hope up front on the D line. Then, uh, then of course, we go to linebacker, where, as we, I mean, 
I don't think we need to say a lot more about inside linebackers. We <laughs> talked at the top about how that might be the biggest upgrade on the roster by going to Mosley and Williamson um, after a sort of carousel of, of mid-lower-level guys who, who played well, let's be fair. Uh, James Burgess, Neville Hewitt, those guys played all right last year. Um, so that, of course, pushes us to the outside linebackers. Jordan Jenkins on one side, and then who the hell knows on the other side? You know, we'll see some Basham. Yep. We're hoping that, that Huff finds a way to make the roster and contribute there on passing downs. But at, at the linebacker spot, Alex, uh, not a ton of additions on the outside spots, but what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's really intriguing because, you know, as we talked about um, probably last month, uh, there's an abundance of inside linebackers. And I'm not really sure if some guys are going to be, you know, because Greg Williams likes to have his defensive players have at least two, if not three roles within his uh, scheme. So, you know, some of these inside guys might have outside duties too. Um, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, is Blake Cashman going to be in the rotation? We saw him play a little bit outside linebacker last year. Um, you know, we know that his history with his shoulders are not great. So you can't really, you know, put him as a number one, number two uh, potential guy in this, on the depth chart. But, yeah, the, the outside linebacker is probably the most intriguing out of out of the whole entire defense because uh, we know who our, our safeties are. We know who our guys up front are. We know we have Desir on the outside. Um, and then the biggest question marks defensively is, you know, outside of George Jenkins, who's going to be the, the next biggest threat coming off the edge? And, you know, who's, who's obviously going to be our number two guy um, outside in the corner. So we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But, you know, yeah, it, it really, really seems interesting that, they put more of an emphasis this year in the interior aspect of the linebackers from what, you know, we've seen uh, rather than the outside. And and this is a league where it's a passing league and everybody loves the edge defenders and seeing those guys, you know, go into a three or four point stance or two point stance and, and cause havoc in the backfield. It's a lot of fun to watch players do that, but the Jets just don't really seem to have that uh, type of player at the moment. So, Outside of George Jenkins, not Jordan Jenkins, uh, yeah, who's the mystery man uh, uh, that's going to be playing opposite of him? Maybe it's Basham. Um, that probably would be my first guess because uh, he's a little bit ahead of everybody um, in that room right now. He's ahead of Azuniga. He's, you know, maybe going to be splitting with Kyle Phillips a little bit, um, depending on, you know, that week's scheme and how he fits what they're trying to do. Uh, because there was a lot of, you know, like position group changes that, that Greg Williams was, um, you know, messing around with. He'd have, you know, uh, Kafusi and Basham and Phillips coming in, and then you have, you know, Cashman and Burgess and the other guys coming out, and, you know, they're coming back in the next play. So he got really, really creative, and it's going to really, really be difficult at this point in time to say, like, this is Greg Williams' guy opposite Jordan Jenkins. So I'll definitely uh, be intrigued to see how that plays out. All right, and that brings us to the secondary where, you know, we, we've already talked quite a bit about Pierre Desir. I'm going to, you know, he, he's going to start at one corner. I'm going to assume Bless Austin wins the other spot. And then, you know, of course, you got Brian Poole 
who's going to be, you know, he's going to be your, your, your nickel guy. And then Ashton Davis, who's going to do a little bit of everything. But all in all, you know, again, Jamal and, and May at safety. And maybe, you know, maybe Davis fills in there from time to time. And that makes it a little easier for Jamal to, to come up front and replace an outside linebacker and get after the quarterback. Uh, not something you want to do a million times to the guy Jamal's size, but something you can definitely do frequently enough to have an impact. But the secondary to me, it's if this year is healthy and bless Austin plays as well as he did early last year. I mean, well, early in his season, he missed a lot of time, obviously recovering from an injury, but I, I, on defense, those are the biggest factors because without a true pass rusher, these are the guys, the jets, they're going to need them to hold up. So the defense has time to get pressure on the quarterback and uh, they're going to, they're going to need some of these guys to make plays on the ball. But I think this year and, and a year too often, uh, is probably better than what they had last year. And, of course, you know, the nickel spot stays the same. With with a few bodies, you know, a few guys brought in for for depth. And, uh, you know, of course, Mollett's coming back. They they re-signed him. Harrison's coming back. And he's a guy who uh, who played well at times last year. And then, of course, Quinty Wilson from the Colts. So a couple new names, a couple returning guys. But uh, the biggest factor to me is the health of this year. What are your thoughts there, Alex? I'll tell you what I want to happen. Um, I want this fifth-round pick, Bryce Hall, to come into the, this year healthy because he, he claims that, you know, his injury happened very early in the season in 2019. So he's had well over almost a year of recovery. I keep hearing so much um, mixed stuff about his ankle, Alex. It's, it's, a, it's a little frustrating, isn't it? Um, well, um, I would love to see him efficient. steal a starting job early. Did you see his injury, that, that one play where he was blocking and the guy rolled up on his back ankle like that? I mean, it's just the one thing that you never want to see happen to anybody. Um, and, and that's what kind of – normally you see that happen to, like, linemen. And, right, and right. It looks horrible. The guy gets knocked um, over and rolls up on him. Right. And, you know, it's just one of those freak plays where he got blindsided, didn't see it coming. And I don't know if it was one of his own teammates or it was just kind of like collateral damage. Somebody's body got taken off the ground and – all their weight went right onto that that back foot of his, so it was it was a definitely a brutal injury. Um, we'll see if his if he if he loses his speed, then you know that he's not going to um, pretty much be able to do anything. Because speed is definitely very important at the cornerback position. So what I'm hoping for is that this kid Bryce Hall, who was talked about as a late first, early second round grade until that ankle injury had occurred. Um, becomes the guy kind of like the way that we were expecting or hoping that Les Austin uh, would, would be the guy. Cause we had no film on him. We just, it was all hearsay and what people were writing about him and conversations yep. from coaches of what they've seen. And, you know, in that small stint that Les Austin had played, we saw some really, really quality cornerback play, something that we haven't seen in years. So if Bryce Hall is the same kind of, um, the draft selection was the same ideology of, you know, just give this guy a little bit of time to, you know, strengthen that leg up and get him back to form where he was in 2018. Then the Jets have themselves another, you know, very, very talented defensive back and potentially looking at a, a strong point of the defense. Um, if he, if this kid Hall hits his ceiling. So at the moment, um, I, I'm with you with Desir and Austin on the outside of um, being the potential one and two. Um, I guess a sleeper would be Quincy Wilson, um, the trade that we made with Indianapolis. 
And, uh, you know, Arthur Mollett, we, we clearly know that Greg Williams is comfortable deploying him if, if you know, you get beat, like Bless Austin got beat um, just before the end of the first half in that week 16 game, and he didn't get to see the field again for the rest of 2019. And I know I've said that plenty of times. So we know how Greg Williams is. He has that no BS attitude. If you bust and you, you, you know, do something bad on the field, he will yank you right then and there and replace you. So that definitely concerns me um, as far as plus Austin um, and where he stands with, with, with Mr. Greg Williams. But uh, year two, maybe he comes back healthier, a little bit, uh, you know, more educated about what his role will be on the defense. And yeah, you, you know, you could be looking at a pretty sharp tandem. Um, but again, you know, History shows that Austin has struggled with his health, um, just like a few other guys that we have in-house. And we really don't know what's going on with this rookie Ashton Davis. Um, you know, we've been told he's a phenomenal athlete, and he can kind of play the, the dime cornerback. He can play nickel cornerback. You know, free, he can play safety as well. Um, so, yeah, the Jets have a lot of, you know, versatile, talented guys in that defensive backfield, and it should work out very, very well um, schematically. Um, again, you know, health and, and all those other things are the factor. But, uh, yeah, my hope um, is that this kid, Bryce Hall, uh, you know, reaches his ceiling and potential and wins a job and plays like he did in 2018. And, and that just brings me to a quick question here because a lot of people texted me and I saw a lot of people kind of a little taken off or taken back by the contract that he got. I mean, four years at under $4 million, I think it was around 3.6, maybe the 3.8 million. I mean, for me, less than a million dollars a year for a rookie. And people are saying, oh, my God, why do you pay a fifth-round pick so much? Does that really seem like a lot? For me, it doesn't seem like a lot, but some people seem to think he got paid too much. No, you know, Alex, I saw that. You know what I think that was? And I could be wrong because you're dead right about that. I wonder if people – the only way I can reasonably understand why people were saying that, do you think they thought that was per year? Like who complains yeah, about so. a guy getting nine hundred grand a year in the NFL? You know what I mean? Like he, relative to the NFL salaries, he got peanuts. And I saw some of those comments, and I was like, these people must be thinking they gave him four years, three point six million a year, because that would right. be weird. I, I, I'm right. I, I'm just throwing that out there because I can't think of a logical reason why you would be upset that a fourth, fifth round pick got nine hundred grand a year or whatever it turns out to be. Um, so I don't know. I'm yep. just, like I said, that, I saw that and I was like, what is this person talking about? And then I was like, then, maybe yeah, they're I was thinking it's 3.6 a year. Yeah, that, that was a little bit weird. But uh, sticking with the yeah, secondary. an average of nine, $925,000 a year. I mean, yeah, and this guy they, could they be they a potential must, starter. Are you joking me? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think people thought that was per year. Um, right. But wrapping things up, our last topic of the night, Alex, Jamal Adams. Uh, pro Football Focus did a a top however many players. And uh, tell us where Jamal Adams finished, Alex, and what do you think of that? Yeah, so PFF has him as the top 20, Mr. 20, out of their, what they do, the top 50, I think? I think it was a top 50. I think so. Uh, I think so. So he, he's in the top half according to, to PFF. I mean, obviously, we all have the number one in our hearts. Uh, you know, I guess a lot of people hold his his turnover statistics uh, against him, um, which I feel is foolish, but maybe I'm being a homer. Uh, you know, I'm happy for Jamal. Um, clearly, 
you know, another piece for him to use as leverage during contract negotiations, I'm sure. Uh, You know, we don't – this is what I don't understand is that we haven't had a lot of players that have the kind of talent that Jamal Adams has, let's be honest. I haven't seen a player that we've drafted defensively with that kind of skill set since, like, Darrell Rebus. Um, and I'm trying to think further than that, and, you know, maybe you have better memory than me, but, you know, it, it just shocks me that there, there are fans out there that, that would really, really like to see him go. And, you know, and now we're going back to this COVID situation here, and, and someone had mentioned this before. Why would you trade away your best player not knowing what the future holds. There's a possibility. We have to be honest. There may not be a 2020 season. So are you really willing to trade away your best player to get future draft picks? You know, because people are saying, oh, we can get a tackle. We can get a first. We can get a second round pick. You know, we get, you know, the, the, the big five from Wendy's bag too and all this stuff they throw out there. I don't get it. At the end of the day, he is one of the best players in the league, one of the best players on this team. Uh, I think his potential, is has, we haven't even seen him scratch the surface yet. I think he's capable of doing more. I think that defensive back sack record is in jeopardy this year. And I think that, you know, Jamal clearly being the emotional, somewhat dramatic player that we've seen him on and off the field, um, is keeping receipts on some of the things that people say. And I would anticipate him having even a better year this year than he's had the last few. So I'm happy for Jamal. I'm really excited to see what he has in store for us. And I'm definitely hoping that, you know, he ends up retiring as a Jet someday. Yeah, I really think that uh, he's a guy that you want to have on your team. And I, I talked last week, Alex, I know you're busy. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show, but uh, I went through the list of great players the Jets have drafted, and there aren't many of them. And a lot of them that got drafted weren't that great with the Jets, and then they left and played great. Or the Jets traded them and they played great. Um, yep. You know, you look at you look at Santana Moss as a guy. You look at Revis. Of course, Revis wasn't the same guy once he was traded because the knee. Um, but that's that's a whole different story. But seeing some of the names of guys that they had, that they drafted, that got away. And it felt like, and I'm sure it wasn't, but as they say, when it, it when you, you want so badly to be wrong, it really felt like, because I went in thinking, man, I bet they've let go almost as many quality players as they've kept. And it kind of, as I went through the list, I'm like, oh, like Terrence Mathis, Jonathan Goodwin. Um, and you start going through and finding these guys, and guys that they traded, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, um, Santana Moss, guys they lost to free agency that they didn't reti- – got good picks, like the few good picks they have, and they let them go, and they're great elsewhere. Randy Thomas, um, um, who's the, the big one who's escaping me at the moment? I can't even – You got me there. Yeah, um, uh, well, there, there was a whole list of names in my head. And I was going through all these guys, and I'm like, you know, free agent, free agent. Uh, I already mentioned Lavernius Coles. He left. And they just – so many guys that they've drafted that they, they didn't – oh, James Farrier, of course, because he's the guy 
Farrier's the guy that I've debated with a million people if he was a good pick or not. And I said this last week, I, I, and I don't want to go too long on this, because A, we don't have a ton of time left, and B, I went over it last week, Alex. But I think, at least for me, from, for my peace of mind, I don't expect other people to do this. But I've, I've kind of created a, a new category in my mind of draft pick that's not boom or bust, but wasted pick. Because if people are going to get so up in arms that I say James Farrier was a bust of a pick, oh, but he was a great player. Like, to me, he wasn't a great Jet. Like if it, And this is the example I gave, and I'll, and I'll keep it short so as to not run through it all over again. But if I'm the owner of a team and you have a crystal ball and you come to me and say, uh, we're drafting this guy in the first round, and I say, great, you got that crystal ball. What can you tell me he's going to do for us? Well, he's not going to do much for us, but he's going to be great once he leaves. Like, that's not an acceptable answer. Our pick, draft picks, especially your first-round picks, those are the guys we've got to hit on. And having a guy that is great somewhere else isn't the hit. So if you're going to say, oh, he's not a bust, he was awesome with the Steelers. Okay, well, it was a wasted pick in terms of the Jets. So Farrier for the Jets was a wasted pick. And there, you know, there are others, guys who don't do well. And then Terrence, you remember Terrence Mathis? That guy was like a jag for the Jets. He did nothing. And then he goes to the Falcons, and I think he was, he was like one of the first guys ever to have like 100 and however many catches. He, he put up like astronomical numbers for that time. And the Jets fans are like, this guy was like our fourth, fifth, sixth receiver. He didn't do anything. He goes somewhere right. else, year one, boom, he's, he's off the charts. So anyway, the, the, the bottom line, Alex, is that so many good players end up leaving this team. The Jamal Adams, who finished in the top 20 for, for PFF, and congratulations to him. He, he's, it's weird. He's a great player who has become polarizing to some degree. Why? Well, you know, he, the, the, we see the leadership thing get pushed and pushed and pushed, and then we see him kind of melt down when he gets his name mentioned in the trade, and, he, you know, the team will get blown out, but he's tweeting out pictures of himself and how good he looked before the game. And he has trade value, and fans love draft picks, you know, probably a little too much. I'm like, oh, man, we, we can move this guy and get a couple first-round picks and, and maybe a player, and, you know, and he's a prima donna and the cryptic tweets and all the stuff. But the bottom line is, listen, he's a great player, and you want your favorite team to re- retain their great players. The team doesn't draft many of them. So I'd love to see him retained, and I'm happy to see that he got some more recognition and finished top 20 for PFF. And I think that's it. We, we touched briefly on uh, Tremaine Johnson. He's gone, frees up $8 million, um, or $11 million, whatever it is. That money, basically 90% of it will go to our draft picks. Um, so it doesn't free up as much money as it looks like on paper. The Jets will essentially be around right back where they... $25 million right now? I believe so, yeah. They were, sit- they, were, they were sitting at 14 or 15 and now they're at 24 25 so once they sign all their rookies, they'll be back in the 14-15 range. Um, so not a ton of money out there, but enough to go grab a player. And who knows? Again, Winters can be cut and save $6 million. Uh, actually, I think it's $7.2 million. Avery Williamson, who I don't want to see cut, but he would save another six. So there's room to free up money if they want to pursue somebody. If they stay as is, they've got the money for some mid-level guys. And, uh, and we'll see how that goes. But that, uh, that'll wrap it up for, for us tonight, this evening. Alex, you got anything else for us? No, no, it's been great, and and I'm glad to see you know facilities are opening up and and things are are 
trending in a, in a more positive direction as far as the football world's concerned. So, um, you know, maybe you and I will hopefully be getting sunburned during training camp this year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, sounds good. I, I'll tell you what, man. I don't know when I'll be getting on the airplane again. Jesus, they don't they don't clear up this COVID <laughs> thing. Uh, I, it, it's weird, man. I, I, tell, I know we don't talk about it a lot, you know, last couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you. I do not blame you. Yeah, um, my wife's high risk. I'm high risk. We got two little kids. Uh, you know, I'm not really in a position to bring the damn thing home. But uh, yeah. who, I don't know. Who knows, man? Uh, hopefully we can make it out to camp. Um, I mean, I'm sure you will. Hopefully I can get out there well, as they well. allow it to be public. But I, I, was, I, was just gonna, I was just about to say, who knows what the hell the is going to be. They might not even <laughs> let us this year. They might say, yeah. you know, mainstream media only, and they got to wear a bubble. Um, you yeah. know, so we'll – We'll see what happens, man. But either way, uh, glad we were able to get together this week and uh, looking forward to doing it again one week from tonight. So thanks so much, Jets fans, for tuning in, and we will catch you again next week. Have a good one. Take care, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time. Go Jeff. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.